is great to be with you this morning and to have the opportunity to share. For those of you who may not know me as well, I am the youth and uh, young adult pastor here at the church. And I spent the majority of my childhood growing up in North Carolina and moved to South Carolina in 1989 to attend Southern Wesleyan University, which at that time was Central Wesleyan College. I was actually born in Michigan, just outside of Detroit, and my grandparents lived in North Carolina. And I can remember making the trip from Michigan, where I lived, and Ohio, where I lived at the time, to North Carolina to visit them. It was then, at that time of my life, that I was introduced to things like sweet tea and grits and Southern hospitality years before my family relocated to the Carolinas to live. It was also during those innocent days of childhood that I was introduced to another unique attribute of the Carolinas, our red clay. That red dirt that gets on all of our shoes and our bare feet if we're outside in the summertime and on our hands when we're working in the yard or in the garden and even on the outside of our houses and our decks and just about everywhere. Up until that time of my childhood, all I had known was the black soil of the Midwest. In fact, I can remember telling my friends back home that when I visited my grandparents, they had this red clay. And my friends didn't believe me. They had never seen anything, anything like it. So on one of my next trips to the Carolinas, I put some in a jar and took it back home. And even after they saw it with their own eyes, they couldn't believe that the ground was full of that red clay and wondered how things grew in it. That clay, while something that we've all come to accept as part of life in the Carolinas, is not the same kind of soil they have everywhere else. In fact, my wife Amy is from Iowa, and the kind of soil that she grew up with in the heartland of the United States is very different from what we have down here. The soil where Amy is from is very dark and rich, and the ground is softer and much easier to grow things in due to the soil's composition and how it has been cultivated. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Cultivating. Not the same kind of cultivating that you would do with a shovel in a garden, and not in red clay or dark soil, but in our hearts and our lives. Random House Dictionary defines cultivate like this. To promote or improve the growth of something by labor and attention. We're going to be looking at ways we can promote the growth of God's grace in our lives by giving it greater attention and investment. We just finished a series in the youth group last Sunday night on the parables of Jesus. A parable, as you know, is a teaching method that Jesus often used where he would share a simple story to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Maybe another way to describe Jesus' use of parables would be to say he used an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There are about 35 of Jesus' parables in the Gospels, and there's one in particular that Jesus shared that fits very well with the topic of cultivating the soil of our hearts. In Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9, we find Jesus teaching to a large crowd that had gathered around him by the lake. You can read along with me on the verses that will be on the screen as I read here from Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. 
As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Just like we were talking about a few moments ago about the difference between soils in different parts of the United States, here Jesus is using an illustration about the different kinds of soil a farmer encounters when scattering seeds in his field for a crop. Some seeds never made it below ground, falling instead on a footpath that was hardened and the birds came and ate the seeds before any growth could happen. Then there were the seeds that fell into shallow soil that sprouted quickly, but they also wilted quickly because there was no depth and the hot sun caused them to die. Then there were the seeds that fell among thorns and weeds grew up and stole the nutrients that the tender plants needed for growth and choked them out and killed them. And then there was the fertile soil, that rich, nutrient-filled soil like Amy saw all over the place in Iowa that is perfect for cultivating growth. So what is Jesus really talking about in this illustration? Is he wanting to give that large crowd a botany lesson on how to grow acres of corn or wheat? No, he said in verse 9 that anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Jesus is sharing this simple story to cause the listener to focus not on the condition of the soil of the ground beneath them, but on the condition of the heart within them. Jesus was planting seeds in each of their hearts as he taught truth about who he was as the son of God. And the condition of each of their hearts would determine whether or not the seeds of that truth would germinate and grow or be choked out by other things. And as we read that passage again this morning, over 2,000 years after that crowd on the lake heard Jesus teaching that day, we have to ask ourselves this question. What is the current condition of the soil in my heart? Are our hearts hardened to the spiritual seeds God has faithfully planted in our lives? Are the spiritual roots of our hearts shallow? Are we content with the weeds and the thorns that we've allowed to grow around us, stealing the nutrients our hearts need for sustained spiritual growth? If so, there's some cultivating of the soil in our hearts that needs to be done so that we can experience the growth that God has intended for our lives. And over the rest of our time together here this morning, I wanna share three principles that we need to take hold of for that cultivation to take place. And here's the first one. It's the principle of priority. Got a little visual aid here with me this morning, you guys. Recognize this? You ever used miracle Grow? This is a product that is said to dramatically help all sorts of plants grow big and healthy. People actually accused Amy and I of feeding it to Peyton and Noah when they were younger, since they are so much taller than we are. I promise you we didn't do that. Here's the claim the manufacturers make about their product. Full of essential nutrients, miracle Grow all-purpose plant food instantly feeds vegetables, trees, shrubs, and houseplants to grow bigger and more beautiful than unfed plants. 
Simply feed them every one to two weeks. The formula is safe for all plants and guaranteed when used as directed. When it comes to the cultivation of the soil of our hearts, we've got a miracle grow resource. And that's the word of God. And unlike the plant food that says to feed every one to two weeks, our hearts need to be fed on God's word every single day. There's nothing that will more rapidly soften and deepen and enrich the soil of your heart than prioritizing the word of God in your daily life. In a recent study, it was found that 32% of Protestants who regularly attend church say they read the Bible personally every day. And about 25% say they read it a few times a week. To be honest with you, when I was doing my research for this, I found those numbers to be higher than I was expecting. A majority of the people that I talk to about this subject say they do not read their Bible every day. But let's assume that even the statistics that I read are true. If they are, that means only one out of three people who sit in our church services on a regular basis are reading their Bibles every day. And one out of four are only reading their Bibles a few times a week. How can we expect to grow spiritually if we aren't cultivating our lives with the truth of God's word on a daily basis? How can we think we will hear from God if we allow his word to collect dust while we go about our busy lives, ignoring the greatest resource of truth that is right within arm's reach? We allow ourselves, even in the church, to be caught up in the battle with the clock and the calendar and push God's word into the, resource, in the, into the recesses of our schedules. If Sunday morning breakfast was the only meal you ate over the course of the week, you'd be a very malnourished person. Yet the majority who claim to be followers of Christ are doing just that. When they come to church on Sunday and are spiritually fed only once a week, that leads to an epidemic case of spiritual malnourishment in the church. Pastor Mike makes it a regular practice to hold the staff accountable for the time that we are spending in God's word. Not just the time we spend in the course of jobs preparing to teach lessons for children or youth or preach on Sunday morning or Bible studies and Sunday school lessons or putting worship services together, but he challenges, on the, challenges us on the time that we spend personally with God in his word for our own spiritual growth. He often goes around the circle and staff meetings and asks us what we're reading and what God is teaching us as we're studying his word. I've made it a practice to do this with the youth leadership team as well. I've been in ministry long enough to know the principle of priority when it comes to the word of God is a constant struggle for many people. And you know what the number one reason I hear that people give for not spending consistent time in God's word? I just don't have the time. I'm too busy. The truth is, if you're so busy that you think you don't have time to spend with God on a daily basis, your priorities are out of whack and they need to be realigned today. We always make time for the things that are important to us, no matter how busy we are. And the reality is that the word of God is just not important to us to the degree that we often say it is. Most people's days start in a frenzied blur of alarm clocks and showers and coffee pots and getting breakfast for the kids before they rush off to school or work. We start the day jumping out of bed in a hurry, and we end the day crashing into bed exhausted. And most people don't spend any time in God's word between the time that their heads leave the pillow in the morning 
and fall back into the pillow at night. When it comes to the principle of priority and cultivating God's word in their hearts, for many people, it is an issue of mind over mattress. They let time and schedule call the shots instead of God. And this pattern is instilled in our children from a very young age when we as parents don't set the example and demonstrate the priority of a quiet time with God each day. Exactly what that looks like at different seasons of raising a family may change, but the priority should never change. We should make it a personal priority to spend time daily in God's word and to help our children develop that habit early in life. 1 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The soil of our hearts needs to be fed every day by God's word so that it can be healthy and complete and equipped for the work that God has called us each to do. We need to set aside a time and a place and have a plan each day to spend time in God's word. We carve out time and places and plans for all sorts of other things in our lives. Why would we not do the same and even make it the highest priority with God's word? What's the soil of your heart looking like when it comes to the cultivating principle of priority? Are you winning or losing the battle of mind over mattress? Do your clocks and your calendars reflect God as your first and highest priority? Or is he tucked somewhere further down your list? What needs to be done today to cultivate growth in this area of your life? God's word is guaranteed to bring spiritual growth when used as directed. The second principle of cultivation I want to talk about this morning is the principle of purging. I don't know about you, but weeds grow all over the place in my yard. I don't have to plant dandelions. They grow wild, just pop up every spring. When I plant roses or azaleas and put down the fabric weed barrier and put down fresh mulch, it's always just a matter of time until some weeds or random vines start to creep in and poke their heads above the soil next to my flowers, trying to overtake them. Weeds are everywhere. I have to regularly go out into my yard with gloves and clippers and trimmers to pull and purge the weeds. And I usually keep a jug of this stuff handy. This one's actually almost empty because I've used it so much in my yard. Roundup stays in my utility shed so that I can spray the weeds at their root to try and permanently remove them. Spiritual weeds are all around us as well, constantly being used by the enemy of our soul to try and choke out spiritual growth. Consider for a moment the weeds and thorns that our ears and eyes and minds regularly have to resist and filter and purge. Weeds like gossip and thorns like bitterness. Weeds like addictions to alcohol, drugs, pornography, or sometimes even food. Sometimes the thorns show up in the form of TV shows and movies with content that doesn't honor God or even lyrics to songs that are profane and vulgar. Other weeds creep in through vines that entangle people in lust or dishonesty or a defiance of anything related to God. Some of the hardest weeds to deal with that can appear in the form of relationships with people 
who are negative influences and don't point us closer to Christ. God wants us to be very intentional. Oops, see if I can keep this from falling, being very intentional about that. God wants us to be very intentional about keeping the soil of our hearts as weed-free as possible. In addition to the word of God, prayer and accountability are two great resources of spiritual roundup that we can use to attack the weeds of temptation before they become the painful briars of sin. One of the most important decisions that you will make on any given day is what you allow into your mind. And it's a much bigger deal than most people acknowledge. In fact, to a large degree, what we allow into our minds is what we allow to control our lives. Romans 8, Romans 8, verses 5 and 6 says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. This might sound radical to some people, but being radical about removing the weeds is exactly what we need to do. Being radical enough to tell our children we're not going to watch that in this house. And if they ask why, we say because it doesn't honor God. And it doesn't put the kind of stuff in our minds that we're supposed to think about. We get radical and put filters on the internet. And we don't allow the world to follow our children unsupervised into their bedrooms at night through the portal of their iPhones and iPads. I meet with multiple guys on a regular basis for discipleship and accountability. It's a mutually beneficial experience as we share our victories and our struggles with each other and submit to that iron sharpening iron process that Proverbs 27, 17 talks about. Last week in one of those meetings, I was so proud of the guy that I was meeting with. He had been struggling to get victory in a particular area of his life. And we've been talking about it and praying about it together for a while. And he came into the meeting with several passages of scripture that he'd been reading and had written down in a notebook. He read them to me and also told me about some very specific steps that he had taken to put boundaries in place on himself, to purge some life-choking weeds that existed in his life. He had pulled out his container of spiritual roundup and was letting the Holy Spirit cultivate his heart. Romans 8, 7 and 8 goes on to say, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. What do the weeds look like in your life that are negatively impacting the soil of your heart? And what are you doing about them? Have you grown so used to them being there that you don't even notice them anymore? Do you pray and ask God to help you recognize their weeds for what they are and to help you purge them from your life? Do you share your struggles over certain thorns and entanglements with, account with an accountability partner so that they can help you in the ongoing purging process as well? Cultivating spiritual growth requires putting the right things in and prioritizing God's word in our lives, as well as purging the wrong things from our lives. When we put garbage in, we'll get garbage out. But when more of God pours into our lives, more of him flows out from our lives.
Philippians 4.8 gives us a great list of things to put into our minds. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The last principle that I want to talk about this morning as it pertains to cultivating spiritual growth in the soil of our hearts is the principle of power. When I get the trimmer or hedge clippers out in my yard, I also reach for an extension cord. My weed eater and hedge trimmer would be totally ineffective if I tried to use them without plugging them in to the power source. But when I do connect them to the electricity, they are very effective at doing the work that they were created to do. Likewise, in our walk with the Lord, we need to realize that the principles of cultivating spiritual growth that we're talking about this morning are not the kind that you find in the self-help section of the library. They're not the kind that you find on the DIY channel at home. We do not have what it takes to please God on our own. We can't manufacture our own spiritual growth. Only God has the power to change a heart and transform a life. And as we humble ourselves to his cultivating work, it is he that brings about the change and the growth. Last week, Pastor Landon spoke from Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 6 of that same chapter says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It is impossible to please God without faith. And listen to what Philippians 2.13 says. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Both the desire and the power to do what pleases God come from God. He is the source. He is the one who provides everything necessary, even the faith to experience spiritual growth and to do what pleases him. John 15 is another great passage that helps us understand this principle of power when it comes to cultivating spiritual growth. Verse 5 specifically reminds us of our need to be connected to God. It says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God, we can't do anything. We are completely and utterly helpless and hopeless and powerless apart from God. One more passage to illustrate this principle, and then I'll wrap up. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 7 says, When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Even though it may not feel like it, reaching the point where you realize that you can't do it on your own is a very good place to be. We are all desperately in need of God's grace in every area of our lives. And thankfully, he willingly and graciously supplies that grace on every level. 
We just have to be willing to let the cultivation happen, to allow the Holy Spirit to do the necessary work to nourish and enrich and deepen the soil of our hearts so that our roots grow deeper in his truth and the fruits of his spirit bloom into full maturity in our lives. What is the condition of the soil of your heart right now? Is it hard and resistant to the Holy Spirit's cultivating? Is it in need of some weeding and purging? Is it trying to manufacture growth on its own, totally missing its need for God? Or is your heart soft and moldable to the cultivating work of God? Are your spiritual roots growing deeper in the truth of God's word as you make him the highest priority in your life? Do you have a heart of prayer? Do you practice spiritual accountability? Are you relying on the power of God to do what only he can do in changing the soil of your heart? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know how often I fail to give you first priority. I allow the busyness in my life to push you aside. Yet you also know how I long to grow more in your likeness, to hear your voice, and to know your presence. We invite you today to reveal the places in our hearts that keep us from hearing you speak, that choke out the spiritual growth that you desire to see in us. Please make our hearts tender, tender to recognize our disobedience, even our defiance at times, and to confess our sinfulness. Please make our hearts tender to repent and turn to you. Touch the places in our hearts that are strangled by thorns and please free them and allow us to grow deeper in our relationship with you. May we willingly yield to your spirit's cultivating work in the soil of our hearts. Cultivate our hearts, we pray, to be soft and receptive to the seeds that you plant, Father, that we may produce an abundant harvest a spiritual fruit that brings you great glory. I ask this in your very powerful, matchless name, Jesus. Amen. Before we're dismissed, we're going to have one more song and invite you to just listen, pay attention to the words, and also use this as a time. Just reflect and think about God's grace in your life and maybe even use this as a prayer to ask him to help cultivate that soil deeper and richer even today. My heart is so proud my mind is so unfocused I see the things you do through me As great things I have done And now you gently break me Then lovingly you take me my
being with us this morning. Go in peace.